You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. church it's gonna be an awesome day (laughs) my name is Michaela and I'm a volunteer here at refuge you guys can go ahead and take your seats if this is your first time here we want to extend a special welcome we're so glad that you're here with us today if you would go ahead and fill out the connect card and the seat back in front of you you can take it to the welcome center after service and we will give you a free gift Speaking of gifts, we have a very special birthday tomorrow. <laughs> yeah! Tomorrow is Pastor Matt's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> it is the last birthday in his 50s. But we just love you so much, Pastor Matt. I know that I can speak for everyone in this room and say that if it weren't for you, nobody would be here. And I know that personally, I would not be where I am with God if it weren't for you. I wouldn't be here either, but. He's a man who, he really lives what he preaches. He is a man of integrity. I think when you see him off the stage and on the stage, he's the same. He's an amazing, amazing pastor. We're so honored to have you. So if you guys would stand and welcome up Pastor Matt. the grace of God. So he does get all the glory and the praise. Any good thing that I can do is because of him, because of his goodness. And so we give him praise. So now you honored me with that hand clap. Now let's honor Jesus with a hand clap. Hallelujah! Yes! Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Kayla pulled the fast one. You can be seated. Go ahead and be seated. She pulled the fast one this weekend because, uh, you know, she's attending Bible school down in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Victory Bible College. And we were talking about her coming up and bringing Sonia with the two coming up together, her roommate. And by the way, for those that don't know, uh, Michaela is my daughter. I have two daughters and two sons, and they're all serving God, and that's a, a huge blessing. And we're so thrilled to see what God is doing in their lives as they pursue the call of God on their lives. But uh, so, uh, Mackenzie, you know, you've 
have been around any length of time, you know that she does not like bugs. In fact, um, she'll see a bug and she'll scream and she, it's always, Daddy! It's not Dad anymore. It's Daddy. It goes back to her earlier years. And so, you know, sometimes I, I hesitate and I say, I'll just say, kill it. Because <laughs> I know that she just spotted a bug. She said, Daddy, there's a big spider, the biggest spider I've ever seen. You need to come and kill it. So I come upstairs and I, I walk over to the kitchen and then up behind the island uh, pops up Michaela and Sonia with a surprise. So we're so blessed that they could be with us this weekend and Yes, and it's great to be 59 tomorrow. Um, I don't look that old, do I? I, I don't feel that old. I, amen. We're growing old gracefully together, right? All right, I, I do want to receive an offering this morning. This is a church offering for the tithes and net normal giving. We also will be receiving a love offering at the end of the service for Isaiah and for the Awakening 209. And, and we're so honored to have hosted this weekend and, and, and be part of what God is doing to bring awakening to central Wisconsin. And so I had something for you here. All right. It's in my Bible now. I was read off the device so I find it. The question I have for you this morning is giving to you a duty or a delight. There's a vast difference. Some people, they all their Christian life, they only see giving as a duty. And so they never experience the delight of giving. And, and the scripture, actually, when we understand New Testament giving, it's based more on generosity of the heart rather than obligation to a legalistic law. See, giving in the New Testament is a marriage between obedience and generosity because giving is something that flows from the heart. And obedience is a response from the heart to the word. And now we know that God's grace involved in giving allows us to do more than what the law requires. The law required 10%. But New Testament giving, you might not like this, requires 100%. It's not limited or restricted to the tithe. And, and that 100% is, is the effort of, of our life offered to God as a living sacrifice. So God just doesn't own 10% of my life. He owns 100%. That includes everything that comes into my hands. And so then the scripture, the apostle Paul teaches, he said, you need to give as you purpose in your heart. And we see the scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it reads, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7 goes on to say, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So that's the heart of God, revealing what he wants to do when we respond in generosity and giving as we determine that in our heart. 
Verse 11 goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So God, I believe, is cultivating within us a heart of generosity, a heart that responds to the needs of people, a heart that responds to vision as we reach out and impact the community. This church is your church. Refuge is your church for those of you that are members here. And, and so we give of our time, we give of our talent, we give of our resources to build the kingdom of God. It's not about man getting glorified, it's about glorifying and lifting up Jesus. So as you prepare your tithes and offerings this morning, there's a seat pocket in front of you that you can use. There's also an option for you to give online. But our encouragement for you to, is to do what the scripture says, give as you purpose in your heart. Determine what you're going to do based on generosity. Not selfishness, not trying to just take things into your own matters, into your own hands, but to ask the Spirit of God even to show you what you must do in giving and honoring Him. We're going to join our faith together. And actually, yeah, let's, let's do it. We're going to join our faith together and pray. And the host will come and receive this morning's offering. Father, we honor you and we give you praise. We thank you for cultivating within us a heart of generosity. And Father, we give as we have purpose in our heart, not out of reluctance. Father, not out of obligation, but because we want to and because there's a joy and, and delight in giving. Father, I speak a release of that joy as we give today, that joy that causes us to be even more connected with your purpose and more invested in what you're doing in the earth. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. Well, host, you can receive the offering. And, and at this time, um, we're going to invite Nico up here. And how many of you were blessed last night? I love this man's passion. I love this man's commitment to Jesus Christ. You don't have to question, it's unwavering. He's determined to serve the purpose of God for this generation, and God is using him to impact the culture of our society today. And we're so honored to have him with us as part of the Awakening 209 team. So thank you so much for being here, and thank you for now knowing how to get here from the hotel. Amen. Maybe he'll tell you about that story. I'm never going to live that one down. It is seriously the most simplest, or not simplest, but it's the easiest <laughs> way to get to the hotel. And I completely got lost. I made one wrong turn. And then at that wrong turn, I was like, I just need to ask for directions. I have no phone and uh, I have no pride to salvage, and I need to get to service before it starts because I'm supposed to be wrapping in about five minutes. And so I ask directions, and I get the wrong directions, which takes me further. As I'm approaching another city, I'm like, okay, I'm obviously going the wrong way. And so I get directions from somebody else, and they tell me this general area, but, you know, still d didn't tell me exactly where I needed to go because they still didn't know where I was. And then, yeah, I finally got here about an hour, an hour late. 
and I come, and Isaiah's already preaching, and everyone's already getting into it, and I'm just like, so I just came in yelling. I'm like, there's no other way to come in but come in yelling. So I was like, amen. <laughs> Everyone's like, he's here. He's not lost or dead, <laughs> which is actually really funny because I was like, man, what song should I do tonight? And I'm like, we're sitting in the hotel room. I'm like, I'm going to do Lost. And then I didn't even get to do that song because I got lost. So I'm like, lost, I have somewhere to be. So I'm going to share a song with you guys this morning and something real quick that's like this little uh, acapella thing. But I just want to share something with you guys. Like, when you listen to Isaiah speak tonight, today, I always am so used to being at nighttime. When you hear him speak today, like, don't let this be like another Sunday morning where we just wake up. Nobody really wanted to wake up, right? And uh, we all needed that caffeine because nobody wants to get up. We have, we have a lack of purpose. We have a lack of burning. We weren't, I, I mean, I, there's probably some of you that were burning for God as soon as you got up and were, you know, trembling in your room and, and in deep travail for hours before, but I wasn't. And I know that I could say probably a lot of us weren't. But why weren't we? I was reading in the end of Colossians, and I just like was so pierced by this word that Paul, in the midst of being locked up writing a letter, was just like still asking, will you guys pray earnestly, vigilantly with thanksgiving that you would pray for that grace would open a door so that we can speak the mysteries of Christ and I am also in chains. I'm like, this guy's locked up and he's worried about preaching the word. He's not worried about getting out. He's worried about getting out of there for only one purpose so that the gospel can keep going forward. And some of us are not in any type of bondage, any type of chain physically. Yeah, maybe mentally and spiritually, but nothing physically. We're sitting in our nice house with our nice car and our nice job, giving our nice little tithe and in our nice suit. And we're not even worried about preaching the gospel. We're not even worried about moving it forward. We are all around people who are lost and dead and asleep, going to eat after church. And we're not even worried. It's not even a thought isn't even crossing in our minds that everyone in this building might be going to hell. Today, and he says at the end of, and he says at the very end, and he says, remember my chains. What are your chains? What have you given for this thing? What have I given for this thing? This thing costs something, guys. What have we given for the gospel? What have we sacrificed? Because God gave everything. What have we given today? So when you listen to Isaiah speak today, think about that. Think that you aren't owed anything. He already gave you everything. Every single thing that we need, we have. We are so blessed. I feel like so many of us, including myself, need to just spend three months in a third world country with no type of communication to understand what most of the world is living like. It is crazy. We are so blessed. And at the same time, take everything for granted. So when we listen today, please, guys, keep an open mind. Keep an open heart. And, uh, yeah, just let the word pierce you. You're already sitting here. You're already in here. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to waste more time by ignoring the word and leaving the same way you came in. Like, why even come here? Why even pay your tithe? Why even submit yourself to a body? Why even have people hold you accountable if you're not going to reap the rewards? You're literally working at a job saying that you don't want a paycheck. Why? And so 
the thing is, guys, is when only when we give everything do we receive in the kingdom. Only when we surrender to God, to our authority he's placed over us, because it's the same as God, right? If we disrespect the authority he placed over us, then we're not actually disrespecting Bishop. We're disrespecting God because he put Bishop over whoever's in this church. And so that's biblical. Um, and so uh, we're going to share a song. The song is actually about surrender because as men, <laughs> we're very hard-headed, very stubborn, um, not just me, most of us. And uh, it's very, very hard, I feel like, for guys to be fully saved, you know, because it's like there's that pride issue. The same thing that made the devil fall like lightning sits in a lot of men because of what that leadership that God birthed us with, how we were created to lead, how we were created to fight like warriors and all that kind of stuff. That is flipped with the enemy and he turns it into a pride for ourselves. We want self-love. We want everything is us, us, us. We want to be the ones who decide everything. It's a control issue. It's a pride issue. It's a flesh issue. And so a lot of times it's very, very hard for, you know, men to submit everything because they like, I want to be in control of my life. I'm the man. I'm, you know, I'm the tough guy. And trust me, that w- that's been me, you know. Um, I still struggle with pride. I have to put myself in subjection to the spirit every single day. We have to die daily. I have to clothe myself in humility. God, please let me walk out of here humble. Don't let me be prideful. Don't let me get a big head, Father. You are the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing and the only reason why I'm even capable to be doing what I'm doing. So, and in that, we stay humble. This song's about surrender, and I'm going to share some real quick, and we'll get into that track. No disrespect, but I got a couple questions. If you're a God of love, then why is there depression? Why are there days where I just feel out of it, feel like I'm insecure, feel like I'm irrelevant? I'm not blaming you, but God, help me understand. My family's being destroyed. I thought you had a plan. I got some unforgiveness. I guess I'm just bitter because the ones that said they love me dropped me. Litter. Feeling so stuck like I'm in a dream. And as the darkness surrounds me, I can't seem to scream. Feeling like a fiend, desperate for love. A life without love is like a heart without blood. God, I'm on my knees. I really hate to beg, but whenever I'm away from you, I just feel dead. God, give me faith. Something I could fight with. I'm nothing without you. God, you're what life is. Can we get that track, please? I surrender to you. I lay it down to you. Can't do it all on my own. I just can't do it alone. Yeah. Can we get this mic up in the track up, please? Thank you so much. I can't do it alone. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Check. Yeah. Check it like I was born stubborn, came in with a hard head, never back down, no surrender till it's death. Alexis to my king, then a soldier I'ma be. Taking every victory, cause surrender ain't defeat. God, yeah, I trust you, but maybe not with that. I'm scared if I let it go, I'll never get it back. I'm scared if I ever fight, nobody has my back. But either way, I'm fighting, homie, that's a fact. But unlike my father, retreat ain't an option. Never run from my call, no matter the hardship. God, help me trust you, even if things don't make sense. No matter the consequence, never catch me on a fence. I'm burning up the bush, and y'all like to beat around. Dude, stay talking, but I can hear a sound. Compromise will make sure you're never free. Giving God all of me, cause part of me is blasphemy. I surrender to you. I lay it down to you. 
disclaimer I totally forgot we have stuff in the back if you guys didn't get a chance these last couple days to get anything um unfortunately we weren't able to really get like a late check out of our hotel so we won't be back there for long so if you do want something come back there talk to us purchase something and like I said before guys just have an open heart today have an open mind you know let today be different the only way that we can go new places is if we try new things and take new risks if you keep doing the same old, same old, life will stay the same old, and I know for a lot of you, that's not going to cut it. There's people in this room that won't last long if they keep getting the same old. So not only for the people around you, your family that you need saved, you're saved. So your family, think about the people who aren't saved in your life. This thing is more about than just you. The gospel is for the people around us. We were saved for a mission. We weren't saved for a building. You know what I'm saying? So keep an open mind, keep an open heart. We have some videos, and then Isaiah will be right up. Okay, guys? How you guys doing this morning? Can we just stand to our feet? Can we give God some praise? Come on, how many know we're here for Jesus? I apologize. I sound kind of like Batman today, but uh, my voice is a little bit gone. 
Come on, he's the reason why we gather. I don't know about you, but every time, like David said, I come into the house of God, I am excited. Has anybody this last two days been impacted by the Holy Spirit? And says, Isaiah, I came excited. I'm so excited. You can take your seat. I am so blessed by what God has done. I, I, I remember in the Christmas time, I'm going to go real quick today. I'm not going to take much of your time. And for me, quick is like an hour. But, you know, I'm going to try to, I'm really going to try to go fast. But I remember Christmas time giving my daughter, my daughter's a year and a half. She's amazing. I remember giving her gifts. And my wife would give her gift after gift after gift. And every time, if you know a one-year-old, how a one-year-old opens gifts, they open it halfway. They don't care about it. And then the, what do they do? They want to go on to the next gift. And, and the moment they're done with one gift, they just put their hand out for the next gift. And I told my wife, I said, honey, we can't give her so many gifts so quickly because she's not going to appreciate the last thing we gave for her. And I think there's so many times in the church that we're so focused on going to the next meeting and the next revelation and the next gathering that sometimes we forget what God has already done in the past. And I don't know about you, but the last two days, if you weren't at these meetings, you missed out because there was a revival spirit. I'm not being listened hype or cliche. There was a sovereign moving of the Holy Spirit and some of you missed it. There were people at this altar last night for hours worshiping and praising. We couldn't even get some people to leave. I'm telling you when the Spirit of God shows up in a place, there is breakthrough. There is healing. There is deliverance. People that were bound for years get breakthrough in the presence of God. I was talking to one of my brothers here in the room today. He said, listen, bro, I came in the house. I didn't want to hear you preach. I was irritated. I've been to church my whole life. He said, but something began to happen as the word of God was preached. Something began to happen in the spiritual realm. Friend, we didn't come for an average, go through the motions church service. We didn't come to play religion. We came because the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus. Is anybody alive this morning has now quickened our mortal bodies. I remember coming into the house of God and I was an atheist. I was annoyed. I didn't want to be there. There was a church that seat like 3,000 and I was in the section that they rope off because it was a youth service that you're not supposed to sit in. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been to a large church and there's a section you're not? Okay. I was in that section. Everyone's like, you're not supposed to sit there. I was like, I don't really care. I'm not, I don't even want to be here. My sister begged me for months. I'm never coming back. This is the words I said as I walked through that church. I said, I'm never coming back to church again. So this will be the last time I come. I'm going to hear this preacher because my sister bugged me. And how many know in that moment, the Holy Spirit said that nobody comes to the Father unless the Spirit first draws them. And all of my anxiety, my addiction, I was drinking every single day. There's some of you here today that are like, oh, this is just church. I had to come. Friend, I was in the same place you were, but you know what? I was so desperate for something fresh in my life. I was angry, bitter, racist, depressed, suicidal. I had in the world's eyes everything going for me. I was getting hired as a police officer. I had a nice car. I was with a girl for four years, a beautiful girl I was going to marry. I was getting all, I was 19 years old. I sat down with my mom that month and said, I'm going to be buying a house next year. I had graduated high school at 16. I graduated college at 19 with a degree in law enforcement. In the eyes of the world, I had everything going. But according to the word of God, it says, what does it 
profit a man that he might gain the entire world but lose his soul? There is only one thing that's more important than anything, and that is your soul. The purpose of this whole message, the purpose of the church of America and the church of Jesus Christ is that we might save the souls of the lost people that fill our pews every single Sunday from the greatest tragedy in America is that this morning as we gather, there are literally millions of people that will gather in a church building under a name or denomination that have little to no revelation or relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not here to promote awakening. We're not here to promote Isaiah Saldivar. I'm not here to put on a performance or to preach a deep message. I am here because I am afraid that some of you have lost connection with the God of the universe and God this morning wants to awaken you. God wants to revive you. And let me just give you a heads up. Passion is not just for young people. Revival is not just for young people. It's for every person that has received the power of God. And this is why I know, because before I met God, I had no passion. People seem like, oh, look how cute he is up there shouting. Friend, I was down there dying for years in the church. And I was going through the motions. And I was depressed and drinking and sleeping around and partying. And then I'd go to church on Sunday. Pastor would get up. We're going to talk about three steps to build your faith. And there was no power of God in the church. Friend, we need a fresh move of God to restore the power. I don't know about you, but I want to give my life. I can't live my life on the fringes of this religious dead system. We just come and... Can you imagine Jesus coming to Matthew, coming to Peter, coming to the disciples and saying, I want you men to leave everything, to give up everything you have. See, the Bible says when you find the kingdom of God, you give up everything. If you haven't given everything, you can't call yourself a disciple. There is one entrance into the kingdom of God, and that's death to self and death to everything else. We are crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to us. We are no longer connected to the outside world. We are no longer citizens of this kingdom. That's why according to the world, of God. The Bible says we're temporary citizens and foreigners in the land. It would be as if I would go to my hotel and when I got there I start putting up family pictures. I start going and buying furniture for my hotel room. I start going up and painting the walls and changing around all the stuff and I went to Nico and said we got to paint this hotel room before we get to service. It sounds so foolish and stupid because we're temporary residents. We're going to check in and check out and the Bible says that this is not our home that we're from another dimension. We're from another universe. See, the Bible says we're peculiar people. We're supposed to look different than the rest of the world. We're not supposed to be bored like the rest of the world. We're not supposed to lack passion for the house of God like the rest of the world. We are a set-apart holy people. We are foreigners. I don't know about you, but I've been in other countries, and there's this awkward, uncomfortable feeling when you're in a place where you don't understand the language. You don't understand the culture. You don't talk like everybody else nothing makes sense to you and the Bible says that's how we are to live on the earth we don't talk the language of the world we don't look like the rest of the world there ought to be an uncomfortable feeling in the life of every believer when we go out into darkness and shine our light we're not going to conform to the spirit of this age we're going to make the spirit of this age conform to the kingdom of God the Bible says I'll take a breath just hang on here the Bible says that one day the angels 
angels are going to shout and sing. The kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our God. There is a real Jewish man that is coming back to planet Earth to set up his government. And the church is unprepared. Friend, you think God wants you to have no passion for him? There are Christians in church when I do altar calls like, oh, I just want to sit back. I feel like God just leading me. Friend, it's the devil himself who's coming to the church and convinced us we don't have to be passionate. Have you ever even considered that your lack of zeal might not be God? That it might actually be the devil not wanting you to get excited, not wanting you to praise? And don't you look at someone that's more excited and you're like, oh, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with her is she's received the life of Christ. And when you receive the life of Christ, the passion and the zeal, Jeremiah said, I want to shut up but there is a fire that is burning in my soul and in my bones that I can't contain Jeremiah tried to stop preaching do you know how many times as a minister I've looked back for five years I've been traveling I started preaching four days after I received Christ and got saved and I've looked back and go man It would be so easy just to go get hired at the sheriff's department like I was supposed to and leave this whole ministry. It would be just easier just to check in and to check out. And man, every time I preach, all I preach about is judgment. This is Isaiah Salvador talking to himself. You want to know what goes on in my brain? Jeremiah was in the same scenario. Jeremiah said, every time I open up my mouth, I preach destruction. He says, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. And at the end of Jeremiah's cry session, where Jeremiah says, I want to give up and quit ministry because I'm tired of preaching on judgment. He says, I can't because there's something in the very core and the fiber of my being. See, I believe you came this morning because there's something deep down inside of you. Some of you might have the fire hidden, but it's still there. There is a longing and a burn in a zeal for the presence of God. I want to be in a place with the fire of God. I want to be like Acts in the Pentecost where it says suddenly the fire showed up. I don't want to come to church and not experience the fire. See, the Bible says in the book of Acts that there was a flame that rested upon each of them, which means this morning there is a flame that has your name and every single person in this room, there is a dedicated fire that God has assigned to you. Now the question isn't, will you get your fire the question is how hungry are you for your fire the fire's there but you got to get to a place where you're more worried about getting the fire than getting that guy's number you're more worried about getting the fire than getting everyone around you to like you we are so worried about what people think in the house of God who cares what sister do nothing for God thinks Gosh, why are you worried? You think your pastor's going to be upset that you worship? You think pastor's offended that you're excited and passionate? Friend, you have freedom. The veil has been torn. He is the son of God. Jesus is alive and well. And he wants to fill you with the passion of the spirit. You know, a guy doesn't want us to be passionate. They we're at the football games and the movies and the music, and we're so excited about our new promotion and overtime and the new house and the new boat. But where is our zeal for God? What would happen if you people are like, why won't you just shut up about this whole God thing? I'm tired of hearing about it. Friend, we need to get to a place where the world is tired of hearing the gospel. Because as of right now, we're not preaching to anybody. David said, 
oh, what can I give you in return? David said, I look at all the stuff that God hasn't done in my life. How can I return? How do you return a favor to a God who came down as a man and died as you? I look at my life in the last five years. I've seen thousands of miracles, thousands of people delivered, thousands saved. And I say, God, when I come into a church sometimes, I have the temptation to be casual. I have the temptation to be just, I'm tired. I got a couple hours of sleep. I just want to blend in and just be casual and just preach a nice little message. But friend, at the end of the day, I go, God, I owe you so much a man that's given me everything that's why when Jesus came and taught the disciples about giving he goes on and says look at the coin they said Jesus do we have to pay taxes now I wish at this point Jesus would have said no because I don't know about you but the IRS is straight from the pit of hell I can't stand paying taxes especially because I'm self-employed and I end up paying like 20 grand but I said listen they said Jesus should we pay taxes and Jesus changes the story from a story about taxes to a story about sacrifice he says whose image is on the coin and the disciples respond with Caesar's image. Now back in those days, it was an image of Caesar. Oftentimes it would say Caesar is Lord, which explains why in Romans it says don't confess Caesar is Lord, but confess Jesus is Lord. Romans was written to believers who were being persecuted and were being killed because they wouldn't confess Caesar was Lord. And Paul said don't confess Caesar's Lord. Out of your mouth confess Jesus is Lord. And when they kill you, you'll be saved. That's a nice little history. And that's a free revelation. I'm not going to charge you for that one. But all of a sudden the disciples say, okay, the image of Caesar is on the coin. So Jesus makes a mind-blowing statement. He says, if Caesar's image is on the coin, he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar because what image is on the coin is Caesar. What was Jesus trying to tell the disciples? He was trying them to connect the book of Genesis in the Torah. And the book of Genesis, it says that every single one of us were made in the image of God. So if my image is God on my life, then I am to give God what belongs belongs to God. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He, is that too deep for you? He deserves our life. And listen, all we're doing is giving it back to him. So I don't understand how people can't, don't tithe in the church. I already know you're not going to clap for this, so just stay quiet because I'm going to talk about many of you that don't give right now. We don't tithe because we don't believe that we've actually received the glorious gospel and we haven't given God everything. I don't understand how people come to me and don't tithe yet say they've given God their life. Friend, you can't give God your energy, your time, your mouth, your lips, your hands if you can't give him 10% of your finances. And it, it amazes me because you'll tip your waiter 20%, but you don't even tip God 10%. Friend, do you know that there's no such thing as giving a tithe? Okay, now I'm going to scare some of you. Like, well, I, my pastor. No, there's no such thing. You don't give tithe, you return tithe. The only way you even could give in the house of God is you go over 10%, and that's called offerings, seed offerings, and all these different things we can get into. But the point is this. Have you ever had that friend that borrows stuff and never returns it? I have friends that are like, hey, can I borrow this? I'm like, no. Why? Because the last four things you borrowed, I never found. And when I came to you and asked you where they were, you said I never gave them to you. And I absolutely did give them to you because I wrote in the phone on my phone in my notes a year and a half ago that I lent so-and-so this, and he never returned it. So I'm not lending you anything else because you're not responsible with what I lent you last time. See, every time we don't tithe, we're, getting, we're borrowing from God and not returning it. Do you understand every time you get a paycheck, the paycheck doesn't come from your boss. It comes from God himself. And by not giving God 10%, 
You're that friend that doesn't return what actually belongs to God. God is not asking you to give it. He's asking you to return it. That's why when we don't tithe, we are robbing God. And there are many of us in this room that are asking for breakthrough, but can't get a breakthrough because we're robbing the very throne of God. And God says, why would I keep lending you something? That's why the moment people stop tithing, they start losing their job and they can't find this. And I'm telling you, friend, you cannot outgive God. The more you give God, the more he gives back to you. I'm telling you, there is a blessing in the tithe. I was at a meeting and a pastor was telling a story about giving and tithing. And he said that he gave a certain amount. And the next day, someone came to him and said, I'm going to give you this amount of money. It was the same amount. He did, the pastor didn't know. I'm going to give you the same amount of money every single month until you die. That's what the guy told him. So I was like, praise God. I need someone to do that for me. I'm not lying to you. I gave X amount of dollars that I was like, I felt the Holy Spirit led me to give. The next day I'm preaching in San Jose and this guy comes up to me and goes, listen, I don't even really know you. He said, I saw you online. He said, I'm the wealthy investor. I own a tech company in San, in, in San Jose, which I was in like a really rich area. He said, I own a tech company in Castro Valley. He dro was driving a $100,000 Maserati. I didn't know that. Be honest me. He goes, and I don't know why, but somehow God led me here. It wasn't even a large church. He said, God led me here. He said, I want to give you X amount of dollars. It wasn't like a huge amount. Okay? It wasn't like $10,000 a month, but it was a good amount. He said, I want to give you this amount of money until the day I die die. Friend, listen, do you understand the same exact story that pastor had given me the night before? I tested him at that word and the next day a man came to me and said, I'm going to write you this check every single month and support you. Why? Because I believed that I couldn't outgive God. And when you begin to test God with your finances, when you begin to test God with giving, I didn't come to preach on tithing, but I need to tell you this because there are things in our lives that prevent us from breaking through. There are things in our lives that prevent us from breaking into that next level and I'm giving God everything if God wants a hundred percent I'm giving God a hundred percent I'm not giving God ten percent I'm not giving God five percent so if you've been radically saved really or you're a young guy that's struggling or a young girl I am challenging you to give the tithe and to watch God pour out on you we cannot escape biblical principles and ask God to still bless us that is the problem in our generation. We want covenant without, we want intimacy without covenant. If God doesn't let you have intimacy with your girlfriend without getting married, what makes you think he's going to let you have intimacy with him without cutting a covenant? We want this one night stand encounter with God where we just intimate whenever we feel like it, come to the altar whenever we feel like it. But what about carrying your cross? What about the price of discipleship? You know, a man came to David and said, David, a mighty prophet, said, David, God wants you to sacrifice a pricely, an expensive sacrifice. And David showed up to another king. I'm not going to go into details and said, listen, I got to get the sacrifice. Can I buy your land? Can I buy this altar? All this. And the man said, King David, God on his knees said, David, you don't have to pay for it. I'll give it to you for free and David makes a statement he says I refuse to give God anything that doesn't cost me something see we have a church that says oh it's free just sacrifice you don't have to give anything but we got to have a people that say I'm not going to give God a cheap sacrifice God is asking on this morning for all of our lives God is not asking for just a part of you God is asking for all of you we have made a counterfeit gospel in America America that says you could be Christian but not walk in the power, not make disciples, not heal. I'm preaching to myself this morning, not heal the sick, not raise the dead, and it's unbiblical. Many of you have looked at my shoes. Tracy thought I was wearing slippers, praise God. 
She's like, are you wearing slippers? I'm like, well, that's the first time someone's asked me that. It's kind of cool. These are popular in California. They're popular all over, but maybe, maybe not super popular here. They're called Yeezys, okay? If you go on Amazon and look up these shoes, well, the ones I was wearing all black or more expensive, they're about $3,000, okay? I know, whoa, for these shoes. So if you're wondering the offering you give, what it goes to, I go buy $3,000 shoes. That's what I do with my money. So just kidding, okay? Could you take a deep breath? Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, false prophet in the house of God. No, really, these are $3,000 shoes, okay? They're called Yeezys. You can look them up, Amazon, whatever. The problem is these aren't actual Yeezys. They look like Yeezys. Literally, you would not be able to tell the difference. I have a friend who has real, two real pairs, and I couldn't tell the difference between his pairs and between my pairs. The difference is this. These are not called Yeezys. They're called Korean walking shoes. Praise God. Korean walking shoes. Praise God. thought you were going to laugh a little bit louder, but it's all right. All right. Went from preaching hardcore to, like, making you laugh, okay? These cost $22.99. $22. Amen, somebody. I'm a wise steward with my finances. Didn't even pay for this shirt. $22.99 for these shoes that look identical to the real thing. The problem was this. I didn't want to pay the price for the real thing. So it's easier for me to go buy something cheap that looks like, and every time I'm at the gym and every time I'm at my hometown and every time I'm traveling at the airport, I could probably name 10 times where people go, oh my gosh, you have some Yeezys. I can't believe it. Where'd you get those? How much did you pay? And I'm a preacher. I can't lie. I'm like, oh yeah, look, check them out. I paid three grand. You know, they're awesome. I always have to right away say they're counterfeit. They're fake. They're not the real thing. I paid $22. Oh my gosh, they look real. Yeah, they look real. There's a lot of us in this room that are walking around with a counterfeit Christianity and it looks like the real thing. And you've had every Everybody fooled that you're a Christian, but there's a God up in heaven that you can't fool. A God that says, if any man wants to follow me, he must carry his own cross. See, there is one difference between these and the real ones. There's no logo on these ones. See, these aren't actual fake because it's illegal to have to make fake shoes and buy them. So I'm a preacher. I got to live by the laws of the land. My mom's a police officer. So I'm not going to go buy a counterfeit shoe. They're called knockoffs. And the difference is this. They don't have the Adidas logo on the black spot. There's a black spot that has a small little Adidas logo. It is the only difference on the shoe. It's the difference between a counterfeit and a real thing. See, when you're telling counterfeit money between the real thing, you can't tell unless you compare the two. Do you know why the religious church hates revival and hates the move of God? Because it compares us to them and it shows that they're counterfeit and we're not that's why the pharisees hated jesus because when jesus showed up he preached with passion he preached with authority he wasn't some dead dull dead religious person and he actually didn't just preach it but he lived what he preached and the pharisees and sadducees preached the word but didn't live the word that's why i love your bishop he is me and nico were driving i was like man bishop is such a man of god he lives what he preaches. He doesn't just preach it, he lives it. And there's so many plastic synthetic churches and pastors. There are some pastors that are more plastic than my lawn chair in front of my house. But God is raising up a church that is not a counterfeit, that is the real thing. So the only difference is no trademark. What is our trademark as believers? What's our trademark? How do we know whether we're counterfeit or we're the real thing? Because according to the book of 1 John, some of us have shut up our heart from the needy, and we say we have the love of God, but he says the love of God can't abide in you. And he says in the only way, this is 1 John, he says the only way we know we're of the truth if we're actually outreaching people, sharing with people, and helping people. The trademark is found in the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick, they will drive out devils, and they will speak in other tongues. Friend, you could have your little doctrine and your pastor, I don't 
don't believe in tongues and I don't believe in praying in the, and I don't believe in casting out devils and I don't believe in healing the sick you mean you don't believe in being a Christian because there is no amen in the book of Acts there was no end if the disciples didn't start the gifts then the disciples can't end the gifts the gifts of the spirit the revival of the spirit is not for tomorrow or the next day it is for today today is the day of salvation stop walking around did not Paul Paul warned us he says men will be lovers himself which he's talking about men in the church people will only love themselves friend the whole social network thing is about what self selfies and self this and self love and think about this we are the only generation I want you to hear this in all of mankind that has gone on a website called Facebook. I have one, so don't think I'm judging you and saying you shouldn't have Facebook. I just want to give you a picture of our generation that has gone on a social network because uh, the generation before us didn't do this and went and made a profile about us, wrote about what we like so people like our page, like our pictures, share our stuff, and our entire generation is what? Me, 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 me. And some of you older people say amen. We have such an entitled millennial young person generation that doesn't want to get off their lazy tail and go to work, doesn't want to actually effort and fight and actually carry across. Everything's about me, me, me. And Paul warns Timothy, there's coming a day where men will only love themselves. Nobody matters but me. Friend, do you know when you're not sharing your faith, all you're saying is they're not worthy of the grace that somebody brought to you it is a selfish thing to not share the gospel you will sit for all of eternity not able to share because how many know in heaven we don't need to preach and say why didn't I share when I had the opportunity but at the end of second Timothy he says this he says men will have a form or a fake pair of Yeezys but they will deny the very power that could make them like God they will deny the trademark walking in the spirit of God why do you think people come to church for two months and never come back because it's boring because we're not healing the sick we're not raising the dead we're not preaching the gospel and God is not looking to raise up pastors that would do it he's looking to raise up churches that would go out as an army it is not your pastor's job what would happen if you actually could preach the gospel rather than having to bring people to church to hear it Friend, it's not your pastor's job to go heal the sick, all your family, and go preach to your family and make hospital visits. His job is two things, the Bible says, according to the book of Acts, to pray and to read the word. It is the job of the saint to be equipped for the working of the ministry. Not entertained, equipped, that they may go out and make disciples of all nations. Friend, you know in Luke chapter 13, Jesus gives a parable of a fig tree, and if this parable isn't on point with the American church, nothing is. It's something that I overlook for years until this last year I never even realized this was in the Bible the Bible says in Luke chapter 13 that a man planted a fig tree and the man continually went to check on it to see if there was fruit and the man was constantly this is all in your Bible I'm quoting it word for word was constantly disappointed because for three years it was planted but it never produced anything so he went to the gardener and said cut this tree down it's only taking up space and the gardener said give me one more year 
And if it doesn't produce fruit, in one year we'll cut it down. The story, friend, is about the church. It's about Christians. God has planted every single one of you somewhere, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your family, whether it's at your school. And our number one job as believers is producing fruit. God is looking for people that aren't going to fill up space. The man looks at the tree and says, I'm constantly disappointed. Why? Because the tree's worthless. I'm not calling you worthless. I'm preaching to you a parable. He says the tree is worthless. What's the purpose of a tree? To produce fruit. And when a tree stops producing fruit, there becomes no need for the tree. America has no need for Christians because we're not producing anything. So there's not a need for us anymore. So what do we do? We come hide out in what we call churches every Sunday. And we come talk about how jacked up we are, how messed up we are. And every week we have to give our hearts back to Jesus. But God is saying, I have planted you in your sphere of influence that you might produce fruit. That would. So what would happen if these last two days you actually took what I said serious and you went out and started producing something? You started bringing people. You started laying hands on the sick. A, a revival broke out at the college home you stayed at. A revival broke out. I look at Ben who I I saw a couple months ago burn with the fire of God and I prayed over him I said the same encounter God gave me he's going to give it to you 10 times and since that day Ben's been inviting people Ben's been showing up Ben's been faithful why because he said I'm going to be planted and I'm going to produce fruit wherever I am planted are you producing what was the problem with the tree why did the gardener want it? why did the planter want to cut it down because it was what? What was his reasoning? Was taking up space. So here's my question to you this morning, because I'm going to close here pretty soon for the sake of time. Are you just taking up space this morning? Are you just one of those trees that are in there but not producing? Because the book of John says that he cuts away some branches so they may produce more, and some who don't produce anything he cuts off. I've never driven by an apple tree and saw it going, oh, man, I really just got to produce an apple and tried really hard. The apple tree doesn't have to try. It produces if it stays connected. If we stay connected to this move of God, if we stay connected to our pastors, if we stay connected to the house of God, then we are going to produce fruit. We're not even going to have to try. Friend, listen, is there fruit in your life? Because according to the book of John, the number one way Christians go to hell is by not producing fruit. He says he cuts off the branches, which are what? Christians that aren't producing, and throws them in the fire. Friend, I want to tell you today, the fire isn't some place in heaven, some lesser place where you have to mow someone's lawn for the rest of eternity. The fire is hell. And if he says, listen, if you don't produce, there's fear, there's judgment and hellfire, then that's what I want to focus on. I don't want to live my life just coming to church, taking up space. I don't want to just take up air in the church. Some of you are taking nutrients from the soil, but you're not producing anything. And friend, listen, I want to produce something. I want to come to this place and say, where can I serve like Zachariah? Do you remember Zechariah? The Bible says in Luke 1, was serving in the house of the Lord. But even though he was serving, the Bible says when the angel came, because of his unbelief, he was silent. And Zechariah did what 95% of us do every Sunday. He left the temple unable to speak. And the Bible says the people were outside the temple waiting to hear from Zechariah. Do you understand? There's people outside this church waiting to hear from you. But every day we walk out like Zechariah. 
silent because of our unbelief. It's time to take the stitches that the devil has sewed on our lips off and say, we're going to be like a trumpet and we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to heal the sick. We're going to drive out devils. We're going to raise the dead. We're going to do what Jesus died for and said we could do. He says, I'm cutting it down. Now, what happens? There's a second person in the story, the gardener, that begins to negotiate with Jesus and says, give it 300. I want you to hear me loud and clear as I close. Give me 365 days to fertilize it and to take special care of it. And if it doesn't produce in one year from today, you can cut it down. Now, the question I have to ask myself as I read this text, who's the gardener in the story? Jesus is the planter. I was asking, I was praying. God said, I'm both characters, Isaiah. It's like, what? How are you both? He says the planter is the judgment of God, and the gardener is the mercy of God. The judgment of God says this. You're worthless. You're a Christian. You've been in church. This plant had been there for three years and did not have one thing to show for it. Now, some of you have been here for 15 years and have zero fruit to show for. I'm not going to get into all that, but here's what I'm saying. The judgment of God says you haven't produced anything. You're taking up space. This is not a fun message, a nice message. I don't love preaching it, but it's necessary. You're taking up space, so I'm going to cut you off. But the Bible says that God delights in mercy over judgment and that mercy triumphs over judgment. So the mercy of God says this. Give them one more year. Give them a little bit more time. Now that they know that they're not producing, now that the tree knows it's getting cut off, give it one more year to produce something. Friend, I believe the word of the Lord for some of you this morning is that God is giving you one year from today. God is giving you 365 days to go and make disciples, to produce something. God is challenging us as a church not to be like Zachariah and keep our mouth shut, but to open up our mouth and to go into this world and to make disciples. It's time for the church to come out of hiding. I'm going to close with a story. I heard a famous story last week, and the story takes place. It's a famous story. Many of you have probably heard it. It's in textbooks. It's in storybooks. It's a very popular story. It's been around since the 17th century. The story goes like this. It takes place at a bride's party. And I'm going to go quick. The tradition at the party for this bride and this wedding, there was a family tradition that says this. After the wedding reception, the bride will go and play hide and seek. So every marriage that would happen in this family, I might butcher it a little bit, but it's okay. There's a lot of versions. Every wedding reception after the family would go and play hide and seek. And the wedding party would have to go looking for the bride and have to go finding the bride. So one day a young bride got married and she said, okay, the wedding party, the reception's here. I'm going to go hide. You guys go find me. So the bride went, found a hiding spot and the wedding party began to search for the bride. Well, about 15 minutes gone by and they couldn't find the bride and they started getting irritated as many of you would when you went to a wedding looking for a bride and they said, 15 minutes have passed. We still can't find her. 30 minutes go by. They say, we still can't find her. 45 minutes go by. They're searching for this bride. They say, this girl is nowhere to be found. Where did she go? An hour passes. Now people are leaving. People are upset. Now they're asking neighbors to begin to look. They're getting a search team together. Six hours go by. Local law enforcement has been contacted. There is a team going out looking for the bride. No one can find this bride. It's been six hours. Where in the world is the bride? Twelve hours go by. They still can't find her. Two weeks go by. They say we, she's nowhere to be found. It becomes folklore. It becomes a tale in the, in the town. People say the missing bride that left and is never to be found. Two years go by and the bride's younger sister gets married. 
At the end of the wedding reception, she says, look, I know my sister is still gone two years later. No one's found her. But I want to carry on the family tradition. I want to keep on the family tradition. Everyone tried talking her out of it, saying, you shouldn't do this. Your sister went missing two years ago. You shouldn't go. She said, no, I'm going to go hide and you guys come find me. I want to carry on this tradition that's gone down from generations. So this girl goes to hide. She ends up in the attic and she finds a massive wooden trunk in a dark attic. And she says, oh man, this looks like the perfect hiding spot. I'm just going to open this thing up and hide in here. They'll never find me in this trunk. And she opens up the chest and she gets in the chest and it shuts and clicks from the outside. And she's in that chest for 30 minutes and she's starting to have a hard time breathing. She's starting to loss of oxygen. And she's okay. It's been 30 minutes. I'm coming out. This is no longer fun. That's fine. They found me. They've been looking. They found me. So she goes to open the trunk but finds to her surprise and her horror that the trunk was actually locked from the outside, not from the inside. And as she begins to panic and lose breath, she begins to fill around in that trunk and she grabs onto the decomposing body of her older sister and she realizes this, the very place that she thought would bring refuge, the very place that she thought she would go hide, the very place she thought would be a place to hide was the very coffin that killed her. Listen friend, the world is searching for the bride of Christ and we have hidden in a place in a trunk and a coffin called the church. Didn't Jesus come and say you have massive buildings but they are coffins, they are whitewashed tombs. He said you go every Sunday to the synagogue but it looks nice on the outside but it's dead on the inside. It's time for us to come out from hiding. The world is searching for a glorious church and God is giving us. What's the challenge for today? 365 days from today will you go and produce fruit? Welcome up your pastor. As we stand in this place right now, it's a time of decision. What will you do with what you've heard? Now, there are some of you that you may have never really walked with God or had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't been born again, and you really wouldn't consider yourself to be a Christian. Or maybe you have a religion, but not a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've gone to church. And so for you this morning, I want to extend an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, to welcome him into your life, to be your Lord, your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, and for you to dedicate and commit and surrender your life to him totally, completely, to believe on him, to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive the gift of eternal life. If you are here and there's an uncertainty where you would end up if you were to die, do you know without doubt that you'd go to heaven? Or is there a question in your mind and you think, oh, I don't know where I would be. You may not even believe in hell, but I wouldn't bank on that. I wouldn't put my risk on that, on your belief that it doesn't exist, because what if it does, you'll be surprised if you die without Jesus. But Jesus came for you. He came for me. And it's up to you to receive him and invite him into your heart. It's an act of your will. It's your choice. Or you can reject him and say, I want nothing to do with you, Jesus. I want nothing to do with you, God. So where are you at? I would ask you to be so bold. If, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, 
and you know it in your heart and you even sense conviction right now for you to lift your hand and say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, lift your hand. Lift your hand. Thank you for being honest. Any others? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to have our prayer team come up here. If there's others, this is your day to encounter the love of God to encounter his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. We're going to pray this prayer together. Then there's a second thing we're going to do, and it's for the Christians, those who have known the Lord but maybe haven't totally followed the Lord. But we're going to pray this prayer together for those that lifted their hands. In fact, if you lifted your hands, I'm going to ask you to step out right now. Be bold enough to step out. Jesus said, if you're ashamed before me, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So if you lifted your hand today, just step out and come up to one of these uh, prayer team members. Thank you, Jesus. take a moment and pray. Repeat this prayer after me. Father God, I acknowledge that without Jesus, I am lost. I'm without hope. I acknowledge that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe that he was raised from the dead to give me new life. Lord Jesus, I believe in you and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer sincerely for those that lifted your hand, you know, you may not have been bold enough to come up here, but if you prayed that prayer sincerely, according to God's word, you are forgiven. According to God's word, hallelujah, you have become a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Your life will never be the same. Now for the rest of you, maybe in your walk with God, you know you've compromised. You know you haven't really totally served God like you should. But today you have an opportunity for a fresh start, an opportunity to get things right with God so that you can serve his purpose. So how many of you would say, that kind of fits me. I'm, I'm ready to accept what God has for me in the next step. Lift your hand if that's you. Lift your hand if that's you. You're ready and willing to surrender completely and totally. And not to live your life any way you want to, but to live your life for Jesus, to follow him, to deny yourself, to take up your cross. Some of you, we're going to encourage you to come and step up here because maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ. And you are hungry for a fresh move of his spirit in your life. But we're going to pray right now. 
Father, I thank you for everyone that lifted their hand. Father, I thank you for the conviction, for the move of your spirit upon our hearts, our lives. Help us to see what we don't see. Help us, Father, to serve your purpose for this generation. Deliver us from what has ensnared us, every bondage of sin. Father, we thank you for moving upon these individuals to set them on fire for you. In the name of Jesus. Now I want you to pray. Father God, make my life what you want it to be. I surrender afresh to you. I give my heart to you today, afresh and anew. In Jesus' name. Now talk to him in your own words. Just cry out to him in your own words. Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we cry out to you. Jesus, we cry out to you. Have your way in our hearts and our lives. Forgive us for our sins. Give us boldness to be the witness you want us to be. Help us to see things from your vantage point, from your perspective. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearerefuge.net.